0: Well, welcome to the Springs. If you're visiting, my name is Peter and I serve as the lead pastor. Today I have a special message I want to share entitled, The Springs of Life. Can you stand to your feet to honor God's word? We're going to be in Proverbs 4. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. My son... Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. In healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated with me. Did you pray with me? Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond my thoughts or feelings or anyone else's in here. Supernaturally helps us to hear and tune to your voice. Lord, my prayer is that, that like a child that longs to hear her father's voice his words of affirmation in life affirming her loving her shaping and forming her heart lord i pray that we would be down to the core of our being in our spirit our heart be desirous for your words above food and any other desire that we have. Amen. Amen. Today, as I unpack our passage that I just read, instead of making three points that I see, I actually want to draw out three important distinctions. Three important distinctions. When we read this passage it's going to come against certain assumptions that we make, sometimes we, you know, without even thinking. So here go those three important distinctions. Number one, heeding wisdom versus learning information. Number two, keeping your heart versus following your heart. Very important difference. Number three, the springs of life versus the manipulation of behavior. I'm going to leave that up for a second if you're taking notes. And then we're going to go verse by verse through Proverbs four verses twenty through twenty-three. And we start with number one, heeding wisdom. Heeding wisdom, H E E D I N G, Heeding Wisdom versus Learning Information. Verse 20. My son, be attentive. To my words, incline your ear to my sayings. This word, my son, the directive relational uh, words that precede the instructions, are so important for us to understand. He is crying out. I think I'm, we're almost certain that this is uh, this is. Solomon himself, and maybe I wonder if it's it's Rehoboam, one of his sons that we know didn't quite, until the last breaths of his life, didn't quite do what he's saying here. We don't know. But we know that this is not just a teacher passively giving some information to a pupil. The words of our passage start with, My son." A teacher wants a student to gain some information, and that teacher can have a lot of passion. But a father giving his, his, these words and, and wisdom to a son, his very life is inherently wrapped up in the message he's giving to his son. The context is of, of a father wanting to shape and form a child who he loves. He's given him his life, quite literally, And now with the very words coming from the same person, he wants to shape that life. It's a deep desire that's beyond just information. My son, we get information from our teachers, but we get life from our fathers. He says, my son, be attentive. Be attentive. Now, the original word for be attentive is one word. Uh, And it means to heed or hearken or to attend to. Uh, Let me just tell you the difference between heeding something versus just hearing something. Uh, Any married people in here can relate to this. And uh, wives, don't get too mad at your husbands because this is all of us to a certain degree. But I can hear my wife telling something to me, right? Right? And sometimes I'll hear what my wife says, and I'll give the perfunctory, uh-huh, you know, like, yeah, uh-huh. And later I'll find out the hard way, usually, which comes with consequences, that that which I thought I was hearing, I was not heeding. It wasn't getting inside of me. I wasn't listening. I wasn't attending to it. There was no... Uh, shaping me and changing the direction of how I was focused on her, and I learned the hard way later. There's a difference between just kind of passively learning some information versus heeding wisdom. And I love how it goes on to explain the very next words, kind of give a word picture for how that works. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. And then it says, incline your ear, to my sayings. The word incline literally is a word picture that's not often used with uh, commands to hear things. It's a word picture of, of meaning to stretch out, to extend yourself, to, to hear what someone's saying. If you think about it, remember, remember what Adam and Eve were doing when they sinned against God? And, and we know uh, from what we know now, especially from the New Testament, that when they sinned against God, their very nature changed. Their ability to hear the voice of God changed. But do we remember in Genesis 3 what they were doing when God came to, to call on Adam? Were they inclining to God's voice? No, many of us remember they were hiding. I think when the Bible says here, my son, incline to my words. I think the opposite of that, in my opinion, is kind of what Adam and Eve were doing. And we can look back on them and say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but I'm, none of us are off the hook here. Uh, I'm going to give you an example about how my kids do the same thing, but we all do this to a certain degree. So I have four kids, and I could pick on all of them for this issue of not inclining to my sayings. Uh, especially, They seem to especially seem to forget their own name when I talk to them. I told my oldest, like, man, I need to start calling you Cookie. Why, Daddy? Because when I say Cookie, you listen to me. She, uh, she thought it was funnier than you think it is, apparently. <laughs> I'll pick on my son for a minute. He'll be heading in a certain direction, and uh, maybe he's bringing food to a certain room I don't want him in, and he's kind of just walking, kind of just kind of be sly, and he's walking. I'm like, Asa, stop. And here's what happens when he hears my voice and he just doesn't want to hear it. He does not incline to me. Inclining to me would be like, what, Dad? You said my name? I heard your voice. Did you need something? That's not what he does. Instead, he's kind of walking along. I'm, I'm saying Asa. And he's like, oh, scratches the ear or something. Like, he I thought I heard something, but I'm pretending like I didn't hear it. He's hiding. Now, I can pick on my kids, but my question to you is, do we tend to incline our ear to the Lord or to hide from him in ways like that? Church is a place for self-examination too. It's a a unique chance for you to judge yourself. I'm going to ask that again. Do we tend to incline our ear to the voice of the Heavenly Father or do we kind of hide like my son, my kids kind of do? Adam and Eve. I think the answer is probably a little of both for us, which makes us a confusing species. But think about it this way. How about when a growth group leader is texting you about growth group? Hey, how you doing? Do you tend to go ghost on that growth group leaders from time to time? I know it's getting awkward in here. You can take it personally. We tend to hear the voice of God and kind of do that a little bit like my son does. Like, oh, I thought I heard something, but I'm just going to kind of ignore it. When God's reaching out to us. Now, this was me. I, was, I grew up, many of y'all know, in kind of a religious household, but I did not have ears to hear the Lord or to attend and incline myself to what he was saying. And after my eighth grade year, I remember I had all sorts of plans for the fun sins I was going to commit in high school. And I thought it was so cute, and I thought my jokes were so funny. Um, And I was just a regular religious sinner kid. And I went to high school, or I went before high school, my friend Dusty, in the summer between my eighth and and ninth grade year, he, I found out he was a Christian, and uh, when I first found out, I would kind of mock him and tease him, calling him prude and all this stuff. And he started inviting me to church. And I remember the way I hid from his invitation, was the essence of cowardice. Instead of being like, you know what? I'm not interested in church. Don't invite me anymore. Here's what I would do. I'd kind of be like, oh, that's very positive, buddy. Positive is like the favorite word in Oregon where I come from. I'd be like, that sounds like really good. Like, good for you. I would never say like, no, I have no intention of going. I didn't. And so I get to high school. About two, three months later, uh, I get to high school, and my friend Josh, who I used to smoke with at the bus stop, he starts inviting me to this on campus uh, thing. And Josh seemed like it's like he went from a dude who never said anything to like he's got, like his face was shining. It was like weird, like he was a different guy. I was wondering, what is this dude on? And he kept inviting me to this Bible study that was on campus, room C13 of Ben Senior High School, in Mr. Shupnik's math classroom, a student-led Bible study. And I would give him the same sort of deal, right? Like, oh, that's good for you, Josh. That's very positive. I'm glad you've turned your life around, right? But I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, I am, I am, a real religious man, like Nacho Libre. Like, I don't need any of that stuff. I have fun, and I'm, I feel good about myself, positive vibes. He kept inviting me. I ended up going, not because I wanted to go, because I I specifically wanted Josh to stop inviting me. That's why I went. And when I went to this Bible study, long story, a little less long, uh, I heard God speak to me. My excuses for the way I was living and the excuses I was making were gone. My Honestly, I can't explain it with words. Literally, my desires on the inside of me started to change. I know now, through reading the Bible, that it's because God was drawing me to himself. He made me a new person the next week when I went back. And I could hear the voice of God in the most amazing ways. I would start reading the Bible, and it was like, I remember thinking when I was 14 years old, like, this, this thing is like, I didn't have any other words to say. I'm like, this is magic. Like I would open it and like, it was like better than ice cream to me. And I couldn't explain why it's like, man, it's, I'm not just reading the Bible. It's reading me. I'm getting all sorts of hunger. I'm getting all sorts of satisfaction at the same time. I couldn't explain it. I was hearing something and being shaped by it. It wasn't just information. There was something that I was capacitated to be inclined to, to be stretched out to, to be redirected to hear. God is speaking. Are we hiding? Are we inclining? You be a judge for you. Lord, help us to rightly diagnose Lord, help us to incline for your voice, and for your purposes. Amen. Heeding wisdom is different than learning information. Let's keep moving forward in the passage. Number two, the next distinction I want to draw out is keeping your heart versus following your heart. Following your heart is like one of the coolest most often uh, repeated phrases in our generation, and I'm going to argue that it is garbage. Don't follow your heart. There's a difference between keeping your heart and following your heart. Verse 21 continues, let these words of mine not escape your sight, kind of a strange way of putting it, I'll explain that, keep these words within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Verse 21, uh, let these words not escape your sight, and then it says, keep them, don't let them get out. There is a... An inflow versus an outflow of what we're supposed to do with the wisdom of God. We're supposed to, to lock it up inside ourselves and not let it get out of us. We're supposed to guard and protect it. It's keeping it locked up in us versus letting it get away. Uh, this shows the nature of, of the human being. is not just something that you, you learn something and it just kind of stays there that we have to keep it. Uh, many of y'all know from that, that, that test that you studied for all night, and you kind of almost got it the next day, but you have not kept it since then. Keeping wisdom requires us to operate within it and walk it out and, and work through it and chew on it and taste it. It, it's, it is, requires more of us to guard and protect and keep than just our minds and like a few small cognitive faculties. Keeping wisdom is, is important and it, it involves a lot more of us than we think. Human beings, we're not just static beings, we're dynamic. Meaning that we, we, we're either growing or we're dying. But we don't just kind of stay the same. We don't just, the wisdom that gets in us, we either guard and protect and keep it or we let it get away. Verse 21 goes on, let these words not escape your sight. Think again, we need to slow down when we read the Bible, because that's a strange thing to say. Let these words not escape your sight. Everyone pay attention to my words right now. Are you seeing my words? No, no. But what he's saying here is that, he, at least from the context, this is my opinion, is that reception of words aren't just things we think about and go into our ears and we think about it a little bit. Heeding wisdom and keeping it involves more of our being, of our hands and our feet, and not just our ears and our mind. It's a whole person that God wants to follow him. And so when he speaks to you, it involves learning what he says and growing in it. It involves a lot more than just your thoughts. It's your whole person. It's an adventure for all of you. Words and sayings and seeing them, it's strange. And then it says, verse 21, keep them in your heart. Now this word for heart is used here and then the same word is used uh, in verse 23, which we're, we're going to get back to. But when it says, in your heart, it's referring to the inner person, not literally, like, uh, cardiologically, your heart. Saying that that inner person that's inside of you, the immaterial part of who you are, make sure you keep locked up this wisdom that I'm giving you, and you work it out, and you guard it, and you, you are formed by it, then more than just your thoughts and your mind, but you keep it, in your inner being, All right. I, uh, I've been learning that what we think versus what we desire in our heart are two different things. And I'll give you an example of how we misunderstand this. And we just, I, I, I noticed some people on my Facebook feed viciously attacking each other, thinking that they were attacking ideas. Not realizing that the, the, uh, the complexities of who we are, there's a lot more than just ideas. So I had one pretty ignorant friend of mine uh, say something on my Facebook feed about race that was just like, oh, buddy, like we need to get you some friends and talk this out, right? Right? Some of my other acquaintances that were like hyper super woke but not super saved started attacking this dude like, man, and here's some of these guys are like, man, let me educate you. Well, first of all, if you ever want to educate someone, don't start with saying, let me educate you, all right? Doesn't help, okay? (laughs) But here's another issue. My other buddy's issue was not an educational lack, it doesn't matter if you, he learned all sorts of things that came against what he thought he knew. There's something deep in his, inside his inner person that wanted to think silly things. And honestly, that's the issue with all of us, which is why I, it was a fruitless thing that they started up and I deleted that post. And I've been in and out of kind of turning off my Facebook in general. But in our interpersonal communications, there's more about who we are than just the ideas that we've educated ourselves with. There's desires that can honor God or need to come under the dominion of his word and the health and life that his word brings. As it says in verse 22, health and healing to all flesh. There's health and life And then there's parts of us that are not just bad thoughts that we need to be educated around, but there's parts of our inner being that need to come under the dominion of this health and life and love. And it doesn't matter if you're on Facebook or not. I would advise maybe get in this a little bit more. Get your face in the book more and get off of Facebook. That's going to help me especially, right? But there's something on the inside of all of us that need... More than just better thoughts. We need life and healing that comes from keeping and guarding the wisdom that a loving Heavenly Father gives. Someone, if they want to believe that the earth is flat, they can believe that. And it's not just because they have misinformation. The crazy thing is, is 10 years ago, that was a metaphor. (laughs) Now people actually believe that. Because people's desires... When my desire is foolish, I can believe silly, stupid things. And we all have different shades of this. When the Lord restores the inner person of who we are, then the other things come under that dominion. When it says keep, it's, uh, it's in verse 21, keep them within your heart. And then again in verse 23, keep your heart The word keep uh, is a strange word. It it can be translated guard or to put a protective watch over. And even this word vigilance that we've our English in ESV here translates keep your heart with all vigilance. That's a strange word that's, that's only really used a few times because it means confinement in prison. Like the wisdom that I give you, son put it under lock and key and imprison it. At first I was thinking, man, this is kind of silly that the Bible would be telling us to kind of like lock up and imprison our thoughts. We don't tend to like, like imprison good things, right? That's not good to imprison good things. But think about it this way. If you had a $100 million ruby, would there be a certain guard and protection you place over that? For it to to bring beauty to beholders and for you to rightly protect it so that that ruby could shine on as many people as God intends to flow through you and to bring the springs of life to others, there is a certain amount where when it's given to you, there comes with it a responsibility of protection. So that's what God's saying here in his word if I give you something that's more than just thoughts and, and, and something that I tell you to keep with more of your, your, yourself than just your brain, it's to be guarded in such a way that it brings the springs of life to other people with all of who you are because it's way more valuable than just you and your thoughts. You're to guard and protect it. When we are guarding something, when we're supposed to keep our hearts versus following our hearts, I honestly think it's not that different than keeping our flesh versus following our flesh, right? Uh, I'm going to read this First Corinthians 9. Paul's talking about he'll do anything for the gospel. And he, uh, he shows a little bit of suspicion for his own flesh, He says, do you not know that in the games, he's actually talking about the Olympic games, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my flesh and keep it under my control. This translation is actually kind of nice. He says, basically, I beat down my flesh to keep it under control. In essence, that's how he guards his flesh, is to keep it under control. Now, let me tell you this. The reason that I am to tell my flesh what to do and disallow my flesh from telling me what to do is because there's something that's greater than my flesh that's supposed to dictate the course of my life. And if I rightly guard it, the springs of life will flow from me as a person. There's something greater than my flesh. Let me tell you, there's also something greater, getting back to Proverbs 4, there's something greater than my heart that God's commanding me to keep my heart and not follow my heart. There's something greater than my heart. It's the eternal word of God that restores me and brings life to my person. The psalmist says, actually brings the flesh and the heart together. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but the Lord, the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Son, keep your heart with all vigilance. Lastly, for from it flow the springs of life. Thirdly, the springs of life versus the manipulation of behavior. Behavior. Springs of life versus the manipulation of behavior. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The the word that's translated springs is literally just means the source. Like your heart, the inner person of who you are, that's what dictates your behavior. And it says, From it flow the springs of life. The word for life is literally just a word that means green, fresh, fruit, vegetation. I'd like to picture uh, the, the picture that God gives us in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Son, keep your heart, for from it flow this. This life, these green pastures, this overabundance. Can everyone say overabundance? Overabundance. From this heart is meant to flow this life. What Solomon is saying here is that the inner person dictates the external behavior. Our behaviors are a fruit of our inner desires. That's why changing behavior is a lot different than just learning some new things. To heed wisdom requires an a inviting in and a protecting in the state of the heart that, that the inner person inside us just naturally flows our behaviors, our habits, whether good habits or bad habits. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, if a tree is good, it will bear good fruit. This leads me to ask, well, what is the condition of the human heart? If, this, if, if the heart is where the behavior comes from, what is the condition of the human heart? This is where I need to take you back on a small journey to to review really what we know about the Bible and the state of the human heart. We we weren't created good by God. We were created very good by God. We were created to hear his voice, to be shaped by his voice, to be on the exhilarating adventure of walking with him. Adam and Eve literally saw and, and, and touched God and walked with him. and they, they were given a command to take dominion over all the earth which was a pretty amazing thing. They walked with him in the garden. They were to extend his glory in the boundaries of his dominion everywhere. There was work to do and it was fun and it was exhilarating and there was an enemy to conquer better than any Hollywood movie out there. It was glorious. The words that he's speaking when it says son, heed my words. There was an adventure to it here in Proverbs. There's an adventure in Genesis. There is something great and very good that we were made for in walking in God's presence. I honestly think that most of the, the parties and drunkenness and things that like before knowing Jesus that I would long for and try to search for the revelries and all the sin out in the world. Most of them are a desire to kind of get back to that adventure that God's called us to, but yet just perverting the boundaries of it. They're just dead mimics of something better that we were, uh, the adventure we were created for. We were meant to walk with God in an exhilarating rush of power with no regret, no sin, no guilt. And yet something went wrong. What went wrong isn't just Adam and Eve and a fig or an apple. It was inside the inner person of Adam and Eve they began to let seeds of questioning. Is, is what God says about who I am and what I'm made for true or is he just holding me back? I mean, if you'd be honest with yourself, we, we've all asked this question. When pressed with other opportunities, to whether it's financial opportunities or relationship, we ask the question, am I going to follow God in this? Or, or am I going to take a shortcut? Because maybe, maybe God's way for me isn't the best way. I need to do this my own way. Adam and Eve did it, and out of that came a world of sin and murder, and it changed the very DNA and nature of who we are. And so now we don't just do wrong, but we can't even hear the right things to do. We don't have ears to hear. Jesus would always say things like, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the problem. We don't have ears to hear, but our our hearing loss is not the depth of the problem. It's actually worse than that. Jesus quotes uh, in Matthew 13 from the prophet Isaiah to accurately diagnose the state of our inner person. Uh, And and this this is important. He quotes Isaiah 6. And this shows the link between the deadness of our hearing and the deadness of our hearts. He says, you will indeed hear but never understand You will see, but you'll never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. See, understanding is with your heart, not just your brain. But we can't do it because there's something gravely wrong with our heart. And so we don't just, we're not just like my son Asa, where we hear the voice of the Father and we just kind of like low key, kind of get around it. We are dead to hearing God's voice. I read the Bible. I remember reading the Bible before I knew Jesus. And I remember thinking it was just a bunch of regressive restrictions for me instead of life that it is. Because I didn't have ears to hear. There was something dead about my heart. And instead of protecting wisdom and keeping it and guarding it, and, and sending away and flushing out the things that were there to destroy my life, I did the opposite. And we're all born into the nature to the, do the opposite. We'll guard and protect the very things that will kill us, and we'll keep out and give the, the external, the Heisman, the flushing out of all the things that would, would, we're supposed to protect. The rubies of infinite life that Jesus speaks to us. We are... We are, by nature, objects of wrath that would push away those things and invite in and hold on like uh, that, that ugly dude from Lord of the Rings, my precious. That's a picture of something real. We hold in our unforgiveness. Don't, no, don't talk to me about my dad. You don't know him. You don't know what he did to me. Well, I know that you holding on to it like this and keeping this unforgiveness under guard is not helping you. We hold in our lust. Oh, I don't want to talk to anyone else about what I click on. That would be awkward. Of course it would. But it's going to kill you. It's worse than awkward. We hold in things that kill us and push away things that would to bring us the springs of life. That's our fallen nature. Something went really wrong with not only how we hear God, but with our very state of our hearts. Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft. He says it's out of heart. Well, contextually, we know that it's the unguarded heart, the human that cannot and does not guard his or her heart only guards sin in his or her heart. And we don't hear. That's our new nature. No one seeks God. No, not one. And that's the state of our heart when Jesus enters into our world. Jesus didn't come to just kind of improve your life. Jesus came to resurrect the dead. He lived a perfect life. He he said, it says that he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. He says, I only speak what I hear him speaking. He is the only person since Adam. That's why theologians call him the second Adam, the last Adam. He's the only person who can hear the voice of the Father clearly, and who never ceased to obey. He earned eternal life. And at one point he was willing to trade the consequences of his perfect life for the consequences of the deadness of our heart. The amazing exchange, his, the springs of life from the very person who is the green pastures for the death of our fallenness in our hearts. So that we would have new capacity to push away the death and the sin And to receive in new life. And now, because of Jesus living the life we should have lived. And then choosing to die the death we should have died. And then on the third day, a verifiable Sunday in human history. The best day in human history that we should celebrate forever and ever and ever. He got up out of a grave that is still to this day empty. And he is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God. And someday he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. But until that day, he is resurrecting other dead souls to walk alongside him. To heed his wisdom. To keep it and guard it, not just with their best efforts, but with the very Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of him. And what I love about the gospel is that it doesn't just stop with his, him saving us from our consequences. He takes us from a place of forgiveness to a place of glory. To where we can be restored in his image. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, beholding the image of Christ. We are being transformed into his very image. How, do we, how are we being transformed? Well, we're, we're guarding and protecting the precious, infinite gift he's given us. And it's not just, it, it, we're guarding the, through the word of God, but we're also guarding with the spirit of God living on the inside of us and the people of God helping us. So now when I guard the, the word of God, it, it is, involves me confessing my sin and releasing the things that shouldn't be on the in, inside of me, releasing those things to other people And gaining wisdom, sometimes prophetic and powerful wisdom, from other people to be sustained on the wisdom of the Father. We have such a good thing. And all the other alternatives, in light of what we have in Christ, with His Word and His Spirit and His people to surround us, we have an ability to guard our hearts. And church, with such a great life, for us. Why would, we, why would we not do all that we can to guard the thing that He's given us the ability to guard if we know Him? I've known of people over the years who stopped guarding their hearts in their marriages. And over the years, it's like, oh man, she is just so awful to me and she doesn't she doesn't, I don't, she doesn't deserve my love. And they just slowly decided, okay, they can just stop guarding their hearts and fighting against their flesh and their heart as if it would destroy them if it's not guarded and protected by the word. Because it does. And the sad thing of seeing people have to explain to their kids, oh, well, you know, it just didn't work out with your mom and I because, what, why? The reasons they give are, are not good enough. If they know God, and if we're connected to him, the reason and the power that we have to guard our heart is far supersedes any other excuse we would make to do anything else. And Here's why I say this to you. We, as the people of God, have power to guard our hearts in the family of God, whether we're in a marriage or not in a marriage. And the enemy will come against us with all sorts of lies. And we're not meant to be on our own to heed God's wisdom and to keep it in our hearts. We have each other. And seasons come and go and there's different struggles that you have. But there's one gospel that continues to unite me to you and me to God's word And gives me the power to have the springs of life flow out and bear fruit in my life. And it is a family venture that we can lock hold of. And it's to be a daily habit of releasing the stuff that we're not supposed to walk in. And guarding together the life he's given us. Would you stand to your feet with me?